All right, troops. Welcome to this week's episode of Rebel City Podcast. This week's episode, we have Marilyn Edmond. Uh, Marilyn is the writer and director of a movie called Connect. Now, Connect is about male suicide, and um, we talk a little bit about the movie, so I'm not going to ruin uh, anything about that because we talk about it in the podcast. Uh, we also talk about um, postnatal depression. The next project that Marilyn's going to be working on is going to be around that. We talk about some of the aspects of being a man uh, growing up, what's causing male suicide, poor mental health, um, amongst other things, social media, and some of the reaction that she's got about the movie. Um, I had a really good time talking to uh, Marilyn, as did Matt. Um, I think it's vitally important that we talk about these things, that we uh, don't just bottle it up. This is the whole reason why we're seeing spikes in suicide, um, especially amongst men, uh, both young and old. Um, I'd seen a couple of posts, I think I'd seen one prominent post on social media that was saying that are we just more aware of suicide? Are we actually seeing a, a spike? And I think the answer to that is absolutely. Uh, men are killing themselves more regularly and in greater numbers than ever before. Um, what's causing that, we go into a little bit in the podcast and we all three has expressed some opinions on that. I would encourage anybody that is suffering out there to please open up. Um, please speak to your family um, and tell them how you're feeling. Tell your partners, your loved ones, how you're feeling. Um, a lot of what suicide is caused by people feeling disconnected, people feeling disenfranchised, people feeling alone, when we definitely are not. Um, I was a sufferer of poor mental health for a long time and didn't even realise it. The feeling that I had inside of worry um, was just part of my day-to-day -day life and I felt that as a man it was my job to take on these responsibilities and take on these worries, which is absolutely not true. Um, people out there uh, love you and people out there want you to be healthy and to be happy and the only way that we can do that is together. So please, please, if you do not feel well or if you have ever thought about taking your own life, open up to your loved ones, open up to the people that are around about you, your friends and your family, and I guarantee you that you'll feel better about it. So without further ado, we'll just get into the episode. I would just like to say a huge thank you to Marilyn for coming in um, and talking to us about what is a difficult issue, but with uh, real dignity and some real insight into the, the issues that we face as men. So I hope you enjoy, and if there is anybody out there that wants to reach out, go to the Twitter feed, Go to my own personal Twitter feed at Rebel City Paul. Send me a DM. I'm always open to talk. So, Marilyn, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very, very well. Yeah, um, nice to have you. Cheers for having. Cheers for coming in. It's been a long time coming. I think. No, thanks for having me. <laughs> connected about six months ago, and you put me in touch with Dan Proverbs, which. Can I thank you enough because Dan came on and he was a great guest. But, yep. Um, this week we're just going to talk about Connect. Um, you want to just tell us a wee bit about the movie, just yeah. the concept um, and stuff? So Connect is about a young man struggling with his mental health and we see him as he's about to take his own life basically and he's saved by a stranger and that stranger, played by Stephen McCall, is kind of takes him under his wing and tries to counsel him a wee bit, but he's very reluctant to speak to him. 
Um, and then it's about this guy's journey and he starts to kind of socialize more and he meets a girl and kind of yeah. falls with her. And it's, it's his journey um, of him basically battling his mental health. And even while things can appear happy and stuff, he's still got that sadness that he's battling like personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's basically his journey. Yeah. So what inspired the what inspired you to make the movie? I was working on a TV series up north and I was getting extras and I met this guy and we became friends and we were friends on Facebook and he posted on Facebook saying, my life's amazing, I've got my new girlfriend, my new job, a new flat, like life couldn't be any better. And then like four months later, I seen like activity on his Facebook yeah. and I was like, what's happened? And I messaged his friend and she's like, yeah, he's killed himself. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, wow. And what really got me the most was he was only 23. And I, was, mm. all I could think was at the age of whatever I was at the time, like 34. And I thought, you know, your life's not even started yet. Like, yeah. this is just bonkers. My, my brain just couldn't compute it. And I was like, well, if this is how I feel, like, mm-hmm. what does his family feel like? It must, they must be like an utter shock. And, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuck with me. And I, I could not get that idea in my head. And then when I, about a year, no, it been probably a year and a half later, I decided to write a film and it was... That was still that idea in my head, and I just I was like, "Right, this has to be the idea." And obviously, in that year and a half, I'd seen so much stuff mm-hmm. in the media about mm-hmm. mental health and um, like the guy for Lincoln Park and all yep. that. All killed themselves, and I was like, "Right, this that is idea a big you're issue. talking about is a really common sentiment when it comes to sort of male suicide is that people go, "Well, it came from nowhere." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what there was no telltale signs, there was no warning signs on the you know the surface of things, and I think it's important to talk about it yeah mm. i think also like men are quite impulsive like mm. they're more impulsive than women so in some cases maybe that guy's not festered underneath for a while maybe they're yeah. it's more a, a recent thing and yeah. they think that's the best option um so i think that's like the way that men react to stuff definitely mm-hmm. needs to kind of they need to talk about it more and be aware of like that this is kind of mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. do you think like the, the stereotypical so we've got the have you read or seen anything about Lewis Howe, Howe's Mass of Masculinity mm. so he's got a book that he wrote about um, how being a man and what we're told it's almost like we're sold this idea of like being a man is like to be quiet and strong and silent and these are the ideas that come up in media and movies it's like if you go back even less so now because I think I know this is going to sound silly, but the Avengers are like a team. So they're the heroes of that sort of franchise of movie, but they're like a team. But if you go back to like Mad Max and like these sort of 80s movies where the male hero was always like the lone wolf. So we're sold this sort of like strong and silent and um, take everything on your shoulders. Like you should be the leader of everything yeah. if you want to be a man. That's what a real man is. But we're almost sold this like, and it just it isn't true. It's, it, it, there's yeah. no movies about somebody raising an emotionally intelligent young man as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think though I was I've been thinking about this lately as I'm trying to write my next one, and I I think that is the the problem with film is film is about fantasy like we like mm-hmm. it because it's fantasy yeah. and you kind of see the life that you kind of would want to have or the people you would want to be, mm-hmm. and when you're presented with something different, your brain is kind of like yeah. doesn't enjoy it as much. So for example. I watched a film recently called I Feel Pretty um, okay. on Netflix and Amy Schumer's in it. And Amy yep. Schumer falls for this guy and he's very feminine mm-hmm. and he's not that 
masculine, a big successful guy that's normally in like a a rom com, mm-hmm. and instead he's you know he's really quiet and feminine. And I was initially like, oh, like my brain was like, I'm not attracted to him. Like he's mm-hmm. no masculine enough. And then when after the film, I was like, what? Why am I not as satisfied watching this film as I am other romantic comedies? And I thought, oh, it's because the guy was more feminine and I'm attracted to masculine people. Mm. And it's like, oh. Yeah. So this, I know it's not socially, right? Like, there are not the right social messages these mm-hmm. films send out. Yeah. But there's a kind of level of fantasy, I think, yeah. that you want as a moviegoer. Mm. I think we're, we're almost with social media and we're almost blending fantasy with reality or mm. we're trying to blend Definitely. fantasy with reality. I think that for me growing up when I was watching these movies like even just like Robocop and Lethal Weapon or these like sort of especially 80s movies it was almost like I want to be like that or Superman like the Man of Steel it was like that's what I want to be and even into sort of like WWF wrestling you're like even though that's quite homoerotic and so every kind of portrayal of masculinity is brute masculinity yeah it's like that is the only view that we get and like you've said when in sort of mainstream movie media, when the female rescues the male, it's like, mm, no, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, because you're trained, you're trained yeah. to... Yeah, we're almost like sort of institutionalised to think that the guy will save the woman, like pretty woman, you know mm. what I mean? Like that's the classic, but yeah. the, the rich man comes along and there's the poor damsel in distress and he, he saves her with his money or yeah. he saves her with <clears throat> his lifestyle that mm. he's like, I can give this to you if I want. It's almost like that... That's the sort of ideas that I had grown up about what I should be, like the mm. provider. And then there's marketing as well and advertising, yeah. like, oh, you know, links adverts for mustard guys. Yeah. And that, yeah. Like. I, I, I genuinely think that this is a catching up that men need to make that women have been dealing with for a long time. I think this is why it's really important that women support men mm-hmm. in this area because mm-hmm. body confidence, um, self-esteem issues have been something that women have been dealing with, I mean, for... God knows how long, hundreds of years. Mm. Um, they've been sexualized and and mainstream media, like you're saying in adverts, it was always sort of femininity. And I think that women have been dealing with us and men just don't know how to sort of get to grips with it. I think mm. that this is what a lot of it's got to do with, that we're trying to find their identity as men and we're struggling to find it. I think also, like, back in the day, it was like, you would have been a man, you went to your work, you were a bricklayer, mm. and I stayed at home, I watched the children. And that was, and I think those roles, like, we were never forced into those roles. I think we kind of naturally fall into those roles. Mm. Like, you go and work and I watch the children. Like, it kind of makes sense. Nobody nobody was really forcing us to do it, but that was, that's kind of how it panned out. But I think now you've got this freedom where you can be anything you want to be. You know, you can work in any job. And I think maybe that's a wee bit overwhelming to people because they're like, well, like if, if you told me I wanted to be I was to be a bricklayer, mm-hmm. I'd have just went and done that. I wouldn't have questioned my yeah. life. But now we're in this world where we're no longer in an industrial Aye. you know, economy. Some well, of the young guys are physicality like physicality of the male is needed in factories and on, you know, factory floors and, you know, assembly mm-hmm. lines and stuff like that. That's not the thing anymore. So yeah. it opens up. But now women everybody. can do those yeah. things and Absolutely. so I'd think maybe men might be a wee bit lost. Mm. Like, where do I fit into the world mm-hmm. now that I can be in? And, mm-hmm. and that's maybe a wee bit overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and then there's that pressure, like, well, I need to make the right decision about my life. I need to pick the right career and all these things. And I think mm. it's things like that we need to start telling people, like, there's no right or wrong way to live your life. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, 
you can find your happy is what I, I yeah. say, like, yeah. whatever makes you happy. Yeah, I think, I think sorry. Oh, no, you go. I was going to say, I think as well in terms of, like, movie portrayals, obviously, you know, Paul's covered, you know, what he thinks about how men are portrayed. But, like, for me, what I would like to see, and I think, obviously, your movie can contribute towards this, is a reframing of mental health in film. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I think, you know, the, the traditional trope is the, you know, person curled in a corner, you know, waiting for a Dracula or a whatever it is to, you know, you know, tell them what it is they need to be doing from their minion. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't think... There have been, obviously, examples that go outside that, but I think, largely speaking, the portrayal of mental health in film is quite caricatured. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I think... There's a re- the reason behind that is money mm-hmm. because even I find the struggle with my film where I you know originally when I first wrote it and I hadn't made it and stuff and I would approach people about funding and tell them about it stuff mm-hmm. and instantly the minute you go I want to make this film it's about male suicide it was like whoa yeah no that doesn't sell and you're like all right you've even read my script like you don't know mm-hmm. what it's like and yeah and they were just like no 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 and at one point I was kind of advised to turn it into a black comedy and stuff so. Wow. I know, and I was like, "That's not no. You've no understanding what it's like. Like, it will kind of re- reflect reality." And I was like, mm-hmm. "There's happy moments in it. It's not like oh, it's not a guy yeah. sitting in a room crying, as you say." Um, and people were just like, "No, no, no." They're like so blinkered by mm-hmm. it, and it's all it's, which is a shame. I mean, I it's uh, when it's something that we've all got to do. We've all got to manage, you know, we're, we're mental health on a day to day basis, or you know, just what in general happiness and well being, like. There needs to be examples out there where people can mm-hmm. look to and see that, yeah. like, this is a real thing that other people go through. You know what I mean? Because that's a big, big step. Realizing that you're you're actually knowing you're in, and that somebody else is experiencing what you're experiencing. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's sad to think that people want to cut the knees out of you under that, and, yeah. and you know, a black comedy like that misses the entire point of what you were aiming at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that just as you said that there, and I think about every example or a lot of examples are. TV shows or Netflix or whatever it might be, things like Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, which is about like sort of female mental health. That's a black comedy. Mm-hmm. So it, it is almost like that area where it's like you can talk about it, but you need to make it funny for people to digest it. Yeah. I think see, I think people are sick of that. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think people are looking for these types of things. I think it's been done. And yeah. when it was done in mm-hmm. the 80s, it was done really well. And now you're kind of mm-hmm. reading stuff and it's not as good. Right. Mm-hmm. I think as well there are good examples there. I, I, I remember watching very recently, and it's, a, it's a few years old, the Three Billboards, oh, yeah. Ebbing, Missouri, or whatever it's called, and Woody Harrelson's performance there is just absolutely astounding. And you know, spoiler alert, obviously it's a point in the movie he kills himself. But even though I was watching that movie intently, like when that happened in the movie, I was like shocked by it. It didn't occur to me that that's where it was going, and it kind of reflected what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, men's experience and that shock sometimes. And it, I, I, I didn't have a, you know, that didn't turn me off that movie. I, I, we look at Sam Rockwell going through the, the movie as well. Like, his journey in terms of what he thinks about yourself as a person is absolutely amazing as well. And I think there's, there is a market there for it because if it's done well enough, people will go and buy it and people will, you know, respect it, as has been the case already with something like that, you know. Yeah, I think if it if it kind of reflects reality, mm-hmm. there's you can get away with it. But as you say, if it's a comedy, you can't tackle a, such a serious thing on no, that level because, like the next film I want to do is about new mums and that kind of struggle with adapting to motherhood and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was like thinking about all the films like Bad Moms and all these things, 
and they all kind of address quite serious things, but they do it in comedy, and it's yeah. so it loses the 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 power to it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I think it's, it's some films maybe have skimmed the surface, but nobody's yeah. willing to take the risk to make it real. Yeah. To for the fear that they're never going to make mm-hmm. money at the box mm-hmm. office. I think that will be a, a a great project because a lot of women. Uh, do struggle when they oh, first aye. become mums. I'm, I'm pretty much every, everybody. I mean, but yeah. it's almost if you experience it and see it, um, it's almost shocking because mm. we don't talk about it. Yeah. it. Again, it's the same as the sort of mental health issues that men are. We don't talk about it. But I don't think you realise it's happening because, like, now I think about my daughter's four, and now that I look back, I think actually, you know, the first two years of her life, I think I was actually depressed. I wouldn't have said that at the time. Of course. But now that I th- look back and how I feel now and what my life's like now, and I just think actually I probably was quite depressed. Mm-hmm. And the adjustment to like giving up your career and yeah. mm-hmm. no having like a social network of people round about you and stuff is really quite lonely and depressing. And my yeah. ex used to work away, so I'd go to London and live for a few months. I'd go to Sheffield and live for a few months. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was like, I, need, I can't do that. Like, it's too much for me to just go and spend all yeah. day somewhere on my own. Um, but I don't think you actually realise it's happening when you're a new mum. And then also on top of that, when you're pregnant, everybody's like, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. You're going to yeah. have the best time ever. Mm-hmm. And so my expectations of having a child were just like yeah. through the roof. Because mm-hmm. every single person in my life was like, this is going to be the best thing you'll ever do. And now I look back and think, <laughs> no, no, that? Like Most that was unbelievable <laughs> pain. Like yeah. Yeah. unbelievable pain. I'd rather I went to Australia for a year again. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> there must be some amount of guilt that goes along with sort of postnatal depression where people feel. I mean, if you feel isolated, I think that's a big one because, like you're saying, you're taking care of a child, but you do, and as well during pregnancy, it's like everybody wants to come and see you. And then just when you have the baby, everybody comes and visits again and they, they love having the baby. But then once the dust settles, maybe three to six months, it's like you and the baby. Mm-hmm. And then if you're feeling not yourself and not particularly well, you'd be thinking, well, what's wrong with me? What's happened here? I should be feeling joy and all these amazing things should be happening. I've just got a new kid and I feel like this. And then you realise that's the way that majority of people feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there needs to be an opening up and like a... There's a nice equivalence there in terms of obviously connect covering how men struggle to obviously communicate their emotions and maybe get into trouble with their mental health alongside something like how how devastating it must be for a woman to feel like she's either failing as a mother or no getting the most out of because again society tells you for the day they put you know your first pink barbie in your hand at you know two or three years old that this is your baby you're going to be a mother and and to get to that stage and then no feel like you're getting the most it must be kind of equally devastating so i'd I'd be interested to see that definitely i think for me the biggest struggle is like that loss of independence like Mm -hmm. before you could work anywhere you wanted live anywhere in the world you wanted and you had so many options then all of a sudden now that's taken away we're like oh well you can't just like traipse about the world and you you can't go to work now because you have to watch this other human being so many is make work career part of our identity and then they have a near enough a year where it's just no there aye must be devastating yeah but also in my line of work working in tv and film it was like you just need to give it up Mm. and that was that hadn't actually even occurred to me that that was gonna have to happen do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if you're out for the best part of a year and you're a freelancer you're, you're, aye, 
Just aye, and just like, but, back uh, after that period of time must be difficult to get your foot back hour, into the war. It's our hours. Like I'll work for like six thirty in the morning to like seven thirty eight at night. Right. And so like out with that you've no cover for to for people to watch your child yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. You don't have a child mind for sixteen hours a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like the the obviously it's called Connect and we're talking about like isolation. Um how much do you feel that this sort of pandemic and sort of mental health, I think that personally we're seeing it coming out a lot in men, but I think, again, I think it's shared. I think everybody's feeling a bit of this. Yeah. Um, how much do you think it, it's to do with disconnection and isolation and individualism? That we're, Because, like, we are told, like we were saying there, your career, like, so when you're coming through school, it's about you're, you're doing all this to get a job, then you get the job. But we don't have this sort of connected community. We don't feel like we're part of anything bigger anymore. It's almost like we're fighting to go day to day. Um, do you think that that sort of lack of connection, lack of community, is something that sort of sort of adds to everything that we're feeling? Definitely, definitely. I mean, yeah, for me, that I think that's the biggest thing just now. And, and there's a wee bit in my film about social media, and I don't think social media is the cause of any of this, but. I do think that that's like a negative factor that yeah. kind of feeds into all this. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just like the way our society has evolved, isn't it? Like it's people want to live on their own. You can work on your own. There is like we're no encouraged to keep that community spirit now. And, yeah. and mm -hmm. I think again, like with, you know, like <clears throat> saying people are maybe overwhelmed by options. Like now the world is kind of a smaller place like you can go anywhere in the world yeah like before you would have just lived in your wee town and you know you would have absolutely like well i was edinburgh so you would have went to glasgow for your summer holidays in glasgow would have went to yeah. edinburgh and stuff. rossi uh, or something like that <laughs> so, if you were lucky you might have went to wales blackpool at a push yeah uh, so like i think and you would have just been in that community you would have had all your friends you'd all grown up together yeah. and stuff and now it's just no even in those small communities it's not like that anymore mm-hmm I mean, I think social media can be a positive and a negative. Like, there's people out there that there's always been the disenfranchised. And when I went to school, there was always the sort of, I mean, even I was part of it, but there was always the goths and then the, the sort of different sections. Yeah. And some of them were bigger than others, but I think that the internet gives people that ability to connect with other people that are like them so you can feel that connection. But I think on like a sort of local, even access to like services level and. Yeah like family it's almost been destroyed it's like it, it doesn't exist anymore i mean you don't speak to your neighbors mm. i think that's just a, a, a sign when i was growing up my, the first thing that my mom and dad used to say when we were moving house was i hope we get good neighbors and the first thing they did was went and chapped the door and introduced themselves yeah. i've never done that i've never went and chapped the door mm. like somebody next to me just to go all right this on my way here i passed by my neighbors who know didn't even realize somebody had died so that's literally like in the building next to the phone the walk next door to me today. Mm -hmm. Come out this morning and it was, and I was like, what? You know what I mean? So that, that's crazy. Uh, do you know what I mean? Do you think we've all got a personal responsibility to try and sort of fix this? That we need to try and come together. I mean, like we were talking off mic about guys like Gary Falls that's got his men's anxiety group in Springburn and they're popping up everywhere like these sort of support groups. Um, but I think we've all got a sort of responsibility to try and sort of come together a wee bit and. I've seen trying to tackle day in this. Tesco's in Sight Hill. Like, literally where the old uh, railway factory used to be. You know what I mean? So, there was, this was like a pure 
again, manly, manly place that was all about, you know, shunting and trains and building and all that kind of carried on and now there's like a men's mental health group in it or where it used to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they are popping up and, and quite, well, places that need them, but places that I wouldn't necessarily have expected them, Springburn and Sighthill, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So. Mm. I mean, it's good to hear that people are talking. <coughs> um, but I, 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 yeah, I genuinely think that we need to sort of get back to a sort of grassroots community somehow and try and get reconnected. Um, like you're saying in the movie, I mean, the, the solutions that the guy finds is getting his life back, becoming more connected to his family, finding a girlfriend. These are all the things that I, I genuinely feel that men sort of need to do mm. rather than turning their back on it, which is almost like where we are, that people are turning their back on that these ideas and sort of just going insular. Yeah, but I think it's difficult though, because if you're in that frame of mind, like you're not, as we said earlier, you're not inclined to go and phone somebody and be like, hey, like, do you want to come hang out? Like, I'm feeling isolated and that. It's just not built into us. So, and that I don't know how to tackle, like, because that's completely changing the way people think. Mm -hmm. And you know, then you start to believe your own thoughts where you go, Oh, well, should I phone such and such and go for lunch? And then you start making up lies in your head for like, oh, well, they probably don't want to go to lunch because yeah. they're busy. And then that gets you worse. Make the excuses, don't you? Aye, mm-hmm. like you've, you've made it up in your head before you've even asked anybody. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, so it's that. Kind of, but then that's kind of further down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, but I don't know. But I think when I think about my community, like the only place that kind of does stuff for the community are churches. And I think maybe. Yeah because it's the churches maybe that's off-putting because it's associated yeah. with religion and mm-hmm. people yeah. don't want religion but i think it would give me pause for thought if i was looking at you know and i've frequented you know groups and stuff like that over the years and i think yeah something being in a church or a chapel would give me pause for thought mm-hmm. yeah that's I think that if it was organized by a church i would just instantly be like i'm not doing that uh-huh. because it's almost I would, I'm very cynical. I would respect for them, obviously. Yeah, but I'm very cynical and I'd be like, it's just, that's just a gateway. That's just a way of just getting people back into the church, like come back and then that, I suppose that, that might be what the sort of connotations of like community is that people think, oh, like that was the last thing that I can remember really in, in the community in East End was the priest would come and visit mm. and talk to your parents <laughs> and I would just, like I'm not going, I'm not even going through it. Loving him to speak to this guy, there's no point. Do you know what I mean? Just listening to him and my dad argue about religion, it's just mm-hmm. pointless. But that, yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I think there would be a lot of people that would be like, nah, that's not for me because it's it's religious. And Gary's Gary's a good example of that yeah, because yeah. he's an open Christian and somebody that's not necessarily converted to Christianity, but is now a prominent like he. he he identifies as a Christian and then he started his group and mm-hmm. he definitely isn't he trying to convert people or yeah. radicalise people with Christianity no, he's, he's wanting to help people yeah. so I would maybe think twice if I've ever seen anything pop up with that um, so when you were doing the research did you speak to people like survivors and families that have been affected by suicide was there a, a lot of that that happened no I was just kind of researching stuff from the internet basically right. and what really got me was a was the the shock of the families who were who basically didn't see it coming and stuff um and there was one example where it was a guy and he had been away all weekend having this family weekend having a laugh having a nice time and then came back and you know had agreed to go meet the brother-in-law to discuss mortgages and improving his yeah. life and like the tuesday and on the monday killed himself 
and it was that kind of like wow stuff like that and then what else did I research things like it sounds really sinister but how people do it like what mm-hmm. are the sort of methods yeah. and stuff and then um, I'll look read stories about examples of people who had attempted it and not done it mm-hmm. for whatever reason and so like one guy was on a bridge and a taxi driver stopped him and was like yeah you know get him a taxi and that guy phoned him like every day for a month to make sure he was all right and mm-hmm. still keeping in contact wow. and stuff like that so kind of wee things like that That's and amazing. like um a guy had killed himself and he had posted on Facebook beforehand and stuff. And like at the time of filming, like Kevin, who plays Brian, Kevin Guthrie, he was like, do you know what, do you think somebody would actually post before they did it? And I was like, honestly, I've read stuff and like this this is what they do. Like people do do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know if you've seen that, but I've seen an article this morning about a 12-year-old girl who's hung herself and she had put on Facebook or social wow. media before done it mm, that's um, so <clears throat> i kind of took inspiration for stories that i read basically right so not a lot of like families and stuff have you had people come and see it like have you had any feedback for people that have been affected by it so the the guy who killed himself who inspired it once i started speaking to the press about my film i was like i should probably like inform the family. his family because yeah. they're totally in a way this journey that i've been on for the last year and a half and mm-hmm. Um, so I got in contact with him um, and his mum ended up coming to see it at the Glasgow Film Festival mm-hmm. and so that was quite an emotional yeah, experience can imagine. Yeah. and um, but she's I think she she looks at it as a positive thing like something good has come out and she okay. wants to she wants other people to see it in the hope that people do start talking about Absolutely. it and, and if it helps in any way like it's extremely brave yeah no definitely definitely mm-hmm. so. i think that that's that's the way that i would hope that it would be taken that something good's come out of something tragic and yeah. that uh, other than being because you, you could imagine it upsetting people like mm-hmm. thinking i don't i mean i spoke to somebody um th- three weeks ago i was going to ask you about this but we get, i get quite a lot of people reaching out to me just random even people that i know started off when we first started doing the podcast <clears> people that i knew yeah. would come up to me face to face and say you're talking about things that I'm experiencing, that's amazing. And it's escalated to people just sending me messages on social media, just either asking me a question about something I've said in an episode, and then inevitably the conversation gets on to them saying, well, that I'm affected by this, and that's why I'm asking you. And I spoke to somebody that said that his brother had committed suicide, or was it? Yeah, it was his brother, his, st- uh, his half-brother. And his biggest worry was it coming out in the press and him being named. He didn't want him. To be named he wanted it to be kept he was like I, ju- I just don't want anybody to know and i was trying to give him i was trying to say to him that that nothing's going to bring the guy back and nothing's going to change what he's done and why would he not want other people to learn through what's happened because the guy had a family he had a great job mm-hmm. he had the house he had the car it's almost it's it's a common story into it it's like it's, it almost seems like their their life is absolutely perfect and then just they get the news that they've killed themselves and it's just like they can't understand why but this guy was really felt the shame of the stigma that went along with it and i was trying to say to him that he should be more open to it being public and yeah. people coming to him and talking to him about his experience It'll and be how more therapeutic for him as well definitely like, so. mm-hmm. but um, i think people like that for me like 
you know, society kind of dictates how our life should be. Like we should all go to yeah. school, we should all go to university, we should all get a job, and then we <clears throat> meet somebody, <clears throat> buy a house, have a child. Mm -hmm. And then when your life doesn't match that, like that's when you start to feel depressed. Like if you didn't meet these milestones, yeah. like all your mates go to uni, mm. you didn't. So then that's. The I think I was the opposite of that. I got all these things and still didn't feel great about myself. Well, then you know you're I mean? one of those people who had this vision of like what life was going to be oh, like if you got all those things and it didn't match. Yeah, I want. I think that I got all these. I, I got all the amazing things and it didn't really meet what I expected for myself. I wanted more. Yeah. So like the 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 <clears> relationship, <throat> the house, the car, all of that. It didn't meet my expectations yeah. or what I wanted to be when and I that, was younger. That's the problem. Like it, everybody has this like, and I think that's the problem with me. Like yeah. I, I had this vision of what motherhood was going to be like, and it was perfect mm. and harmonious. Mm -hmm. And when it didn't meet that, you actually—that's yeah. when you experience yeah. the depression and stuff. Nothing's so, perfect, is it? Well, this is it, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like, find your happy. Like, if my daughter grows up and goes. I want to have a child at the age of 18, I'll be like, do it. If she mm. wants to go, I don't want to go to uni, mum, I just want to go travel. I'll be like, do it. Like, yeah. do whatever you want to do. Like, I'm not going to make you do anything. And like my friend the other day said, oh, well, my son's going to grow up to be a lawyer. And I was like, <laughs> that's a really old fashioned job. Like, you know, you want them to be a, a vlogger. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what's going to make you money in the future. <laughs> but, um, and lucky. I was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought, well, then he's going to just end up being a lawyer or... and unhappy yeah. and why would you want that for him i'd rather like mm -hmm. my child does whatever they want to do and i think that's a massive thing like, like those expectations are quite an old-fashioned thing aren't they? Yeah. Oh, they feel quite old-fashioned i remember school teachers telling me i should be doctors and stuff like that yeah. being like i okay and then like you know getting to uni and being like that and feeling that disappointment for other people that i wasn't living up to their expectation never mind no living up to your own mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm i'm kind of with you when it comes to i've got a sort of 14 year old daughter um and it's about when these decisions come up what do you what do you think what do yeah. you want to do mm -hmm. what subjects do you want to study what clubs do you want to go to what friends do you want to hang out with what do you want to do when we're spending time together so i try and make sure that the choices are theirs as much as possible so that they don't feel that expectation because i remember being you know disappointed by myself you know what i mean yeah i, I can oh, sorry. i can remember starting second year of uni i can remember getting my sas letter through <laughs> and just going through to my dad and going, I don't think I want to do this. I want, like, I was in a band at the time, so I was like, I want to pursue music. I don't. Was this when you were being an architect? And <laughs> I was doing architecture at uni, and my dad's words were, if you disappoint your mum like that, like, you're for it. And I can remember thinking, like, so the first thing was, like, I don't want to disappoint <laughs> my mum. So that was, like, the first, so I'm going to go to uni. But then, like, reflecting on it, and as I've got older, it, it definitely is their expectations of what they wanted me to be. So, um, aye, and then he went he, he went to Canada to, to meet his big brother that he hadn't seen in years and years, and he came back and he was like, I was just telling people that you're an architect. And I was like, right, so, um, aye, so like, almost it's like, I'm not good enough. That's what it, it's like, you want me to be one thing. I don't want to be that. I love what I do but you somehow are, are like almost yeah. ashamed of what I'm doing. And I think like that has got so much to do with a lot of what we yeah, experience. And now is just our parents' expectations, their world being so different to our world yeah. and they're just being this big, massive generational gap. And the ironic thing is, is that the rise that we're seeing in male suicide is happening either in middle age or really young. Mm. The people that are sort of in between 
only having this same sort of like rise, which I find sort of ironic mm. that the people that have put these expectations on us are seeing the same sort of rise in suicides. Mm. But maybe they didn't meet the expectations of their parents and it's just this big shit, pile of shit running downhill. I, <laughs> I look at myself and it took me a while to get into TV and film because originally I went to, you know, I did business studies. Right. And I, like, like thousands of other people who mm. all got a business studies degree, and then you can't get a job at the end of it because I worked at Jai Jai B Sport part time. So when I turn up with my degree, everybody's like, "You've now you've no like office experience and yeah. all that." And I was yeah. like, "What? I've been studying for four years." Um, I had to speak English. But then also, <laughs> yeah. at Big high school, application. at high school, if I'd said to my guidance teacher when we have like the career meeting, like I want to work in TV and film, he'd have said, "Yeah, no, um, like go to standard life that they're yeah. looking for." people yeah that input it's like people. stop stop wishing uh, like it's not going to happen uh, for you so i think that's why it uh, took me so long to actually get into it mm -hmm. because i had to go through that oh and i knew i always wanted to go to university and i did business studies then i went traveling for a year and i came back and i got a job and i was like depressed mm -hmm. and i was just like this is shit like yeah. i do not want to do this mm -hmm. um, an industry that's hard enough to start out in but until you could just volunteer for well, I, um, I had a wee bit of TV and radio and it was just, I did not have the patience for it, so fair play in that respect. <laughs> well, I, well if I was like so depressed after, I ended up becoming an outsourcing consultant, like designing IT help desks. Wrong. Yeah. And um, and I was just like, this is not my life, like to sit in a grey office and with a spreadsheet, it's not what I'd imagine my life was going to be like. And then um, I left and I was like, right, this is it, now's the time. And what is it I like about life? What do I want to do? And I thought, I want to do some creative. And I thought, so I've always been in TV and film. That's what I do. And I went back to college and I did an HND in TV production. And then I got into TV and film. But most people don't do that. Most people don't go, right, stuff it. Yeah. I'm going to, what, what is yeah. it I'm going to do? And they kind of continue in their lives. So maybe they went and they did business studies and they got a job at like, I don't know, Diageo marketing yeah. or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then go, like, then start to earn good money and go actually i'd rather like open a bakery they're never gonna leave it yeah they kind of take that risk i think that the the lives that we lead now it's it's exactly that it's like debt Do you know what i mean it's yeah. like right okay so education job now you're in so much debt you can't go and pursue your dreams yeah we don't encourage people to pursue their dreams yeah. as well which is incredible considering that we'll probably especially in this country and america we're the the very few that have got the platform to actually like give people the opportunity to go and pursue their dreams and yeah. we refuse to do it and we keep people there's a great book uh, it's called bullshit jobs and the guy the premise of the full book is basically that your full life is teaching you how to lie that you're taught how to lie to yourself, you're taught how to lie to others really effectively because the job that you do statistically will probably only take you about 10, 15 hours a week, but you need to do 40. So what you're going to do with the rest of that 30 hours, well, you're just going to lie to the person above you and make out like you're, you're really busy, I'm really busy and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. When inside your head, because you're lying to them, you end up lying to yourself mm. and you end up telling yourself, I can't leave this job. I need it, I need the money, I need yeah. X, Y, and yeah. Z, and, and we don't. It's like you, you need to, especially, I think, when you're younger, you need to have the courage to, or we need to give people the courage to be able to go and pursue their dreams, mm. definitely, like mm. the creative industries. Um, we've had a guest on twice, Jamie Cook, and 
he's an advocate for basic income. Um, and there's Andrew Yang. I don't know if you've seen any of this stuff. It's quite funny. He's uh, he's running for um, the American presidential ticket for the Democrats, and he's called the Yang Gang. Mm-hmm. And it's he's wanting to give everybody in America $1,000 a month. Um, based on the AI, so the rise of computers and automation taking over so many jobs, but when he explains what it's about and when you look into it, it is to give people that security so that they can actually go and do something that they enjoy. If you want to go and work part time, that in, yeah. in in Tesco, go and do it. But like, you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. What you're going to do with that time? Well, you can play guitar, you can paint, you can write, you can do what you want without the pressure of having to be like forty hours a week in the office yeah. and coming home too exhausted to even think about. Like mm. by the time the kids go to bed and you've cooked the dinner and you've cleaned the house, and then it's like I'm too exhausted to even think about doing something creative. Um, I, I genuinely think that's the way forward. Mm-hmm. Like we almost and need then, to subsidi- subsidize people's happiness. Yeah, and I think is that not like also combat like homelessness? There was something like where you it's the same things that no yeah that you pay everybody a minimum a minimum wage. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that yeah, it's basically like you could just use that for your housing. If you want to use that for your house, you can use it for your house. You can do what you want with it. Yeah. It's not what I've studied so far, but there is positive effects on things like mental health and like male you know, suicide in general and all these kind of rates, health rates and, mm. you know, mortality rates and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that do take, but then there's not been enough studies so far to be like conclusive, you know what I mean? Um, one of the things I, I kind of wanted to ask about the movie, I mean, <coughs> obviously... Sorry, I'm moving off my pure time. It's right. <coughs> uh, It's like a obviously quite a you know serious subject matter when i was reading up about it and i, I read your uh, article uh, over the weekend i think was it the times yeah yeah um and i don't know I, I, in my head i kind of was starting to liken it to something like an i daniel blake where there's a really sort of serious sort of societal issue being addressed in a in a kind of adult manner um and i know obviously a lot of that was about you know the pressure put on people by the government and, and various you know services in their areas and whatever else now this is something that again we kind of touched on with the starting out voluntary men's groups and stuff like that but like the services that are provided on a sort of governmental level for sort of men's mental health and um, my experience in them has not been hugely good i've been dealing with anxiety and depression as we said since i was like 19 years old and i've had to rely on these voluntary groups like life links and whatever else mm-hmm. um to kind of get by is that something that is your, you know, your protagonist is experiencing the movies, he's trying to put things back together, or is that something that you just steered clearly and just sort of concentrated on, like, the character's experience? Um, I just mostly on his experience. Right. Like, he never, ever at any point, like, goes to a medical professional and asks for help right. and all these things that you're talking about, groups and stuff like okay. that. And I consciously chose not to do that because mm-hmm. I thought I wanted it to... Ref- reflect reality and oh, I yeah, think that most men don't do yeah, that don't. because when we did the Q&A after the premiere somebody asked me mm-hmm. that like why is he not go get antidepressants for the doctor and I was like well in my opinion no people don't do that mm-hmm. like if no on a large scale anyway yeah and if they did like we wouldn't be sitting here right now discussing it no, so absolutely. um so now I wanted it to accurately ref- reflect um, reality where, that experience yeah. rather than the political situation behind yeah it. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough yeah. how much is the the the, the sort of epidemic or whatever you want to call it, do you think has any e- has like attributed to economics um, and sort of health services are non-existent? I mean, any time that, like Matt said, that people need to wait. I've heard I've had people message me saying they've been waiting nine months to see 
a consultant. So even to go and speak, so they go to their GP, say, I don't feel right. Between that and going and getting that first consultancy before they even send you to the therapist, the, the specialist that you need to see, there's this big, huge void, yeah. big, massive gap. I didn't realise that till recently, so all mm-hmm. my pals are nurses, and I was like, people keep telling me, because people give me feedback about my film, and they're like, mm-hmm. this film's great, the system feels <laughs> men, and I was like, what does that actually mean? Like, why does the system feel, feel men? And they were like, well, by the time you go to the doctor, to the time you actually see somebody's months, and in that time, yep. you could potentially have taken your own life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all oh, right, now I get it. And I've been thinking about this recently. Um, and I don't know, because I think you're kind of putting all this pressure on the NHS to solve this problem. But then people like the NHS, in my opinion, aren't set up to deal with this problem. Yeah. Mm. But then you've got people like Brothers in Arms who are developing apps and who are actually trying to tackle the problem. Um, and I think the two kind of need to come together. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they need to be funded and so, yeah. when, but also like maybe like when you go to the doctor, it should be like you should. There's a leaflet. There's all the people you can speak to. There's Samara and there's yeah, Brother yeah. in Arms. Yeah. Like we highly recommend you download that app. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There needs to be. It needs to come for both sides. I yeah, think. I think there's a lot. A good idea. I was talking to somebody about um, the idea of charity, and and they were saying that they would never go to a charity. And I was like, okay, so they explained it as charities are for starving babies like ski off and ops yeah. farm and that's more like, about how they see themselves and how they see charity though, yeah oh yeah definitely but we're almost sort of told that charity isn't for us that mm. we are we are not worthy of charity or whatever it is and when yeah. then we're asking people to go and visit charities that just out of sheer like functionality like we need them to go and visit these charities yeah. but then they're sort of feeling like underclass or other if they go and use like charity facilities um i I genuinely think that like you said nobody within the nhs or there's no individual there's no gp that can fix this and i don't ever blame any individual but there needs to be a bigger question asked and more funding put into this issue i think Mm -hmm. that in scotland they're starting to really um take it on i feel like they're starting but it's almost like they're, they're getting to the race really late. But um, then I was thinking about that as well, and I think, well, if they were, if like, if the NHS were going right, let's make an app. Mm-hmm. And well, why are you going to spend ages making an app and funding an app when people there. like Brothers in Arms are already doing it? Like, yeah. give Brothers in Arms more money, money to yeah. develop the app, uh-huh. and then like you promote Brothers in Arms. Like, mm-hmm. like there needs to be like a unity between the two. I think. Absolutely. I mean, I think the best I've and again, we all respect the folk at the NHS. Like, I think the best I've ever been quoted in a GP's office is like thirteen weeks to speak to some to a mental health professional and as you say if you're in crisis and you're you know having any sort of consideration for self-harm or suicide like that's a long time to wait you know what i mean that's a long time to dig in and try and hold on you know what i mean mm. like, so I, it's, I, I never thought really before i mean if my gp had handed me a leaflet about a brothers in arms or you know as i say life links and the various other organizations that i've made sort of use in years i think that would take a lot of pressure mm. off you know what i mean like, and you're instantly in that sort of community you're connecting with other like-minded like you know same experience types of people but i i think that's something i could definitely get behind is my gp hand in my life and going here's an app here's a group here's the local area like why don't you make use of these guys while we try and get you a specialist mm-hmm. yeah no, they, I, I like I, I was thinking about this as well like maybe having like volunteers in the area mm-hmm. and the doctor being like, well, I can't send you a medical professional. You'll have to wait for that, as you say. But in the meantime, like, why don't we phone these people and book you to speak to one of these people? 
who like yourself have had experience yet and that person meets that person really within like 24 hours of them being at the doctor or whatever yeah and then that I think in line with your future project as well. I think recently the Scottish government announced something like was it fifty million pounds for postnatal oh, treatment. Right. So it was like I think that was like the last three or four weeks. So there is obviously kind of movement on that as well. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, at least there, as you say, there is attempts to try and sort of mitigate some of these things. But I mm-hmm. more needs to be done in it, and definitely the the government's never shy about public-private partnerships in terms of business, in terms of building a school or you know, any of these types of things, you know what I mean? So why would they have any aversion to having that public-private well, partnership <coughs> with somebody like a brother? I think, like, you know uh, from my point of view, schools produce workers. So, no, nah, I don't know. Something clicking, something flickering in the background. Uh, if, it, if it gets any louder, I'll, we'll, we'll do something, but mm-hmm. until then. Um, that, for me, like, schools and universities are, like, these, that where they place their investment, that creates workers for their, their businesses. Like the, they've got no like you. You just said at the start, this doesn't make any money. Like they don't see. I think they'll start to see it very very soon because people like Google are starting to really work on these types of mm. things. How much money mental health issues cost private businesses is extraordinary. Yeah. And mm. like sicknesses, but they're starting to make that connection. But in previous years gone by, it didn't make them any money to, to help somebody fix their mental health it'd be better to try and i mean even as somebody that's works in the private sector and as a manager the first thing you think about is like i'm better off just getting rid of this person do you know i mean that's the easy way out that's the easy thing to do is to just manage them manage them at the business and i think that that's what's been going on for a long time oh yeah um but we're starting to see now that it's having a massive impact on the economy like the amount of money that we're having to spend on these on absence for work, I mean, I think Dan said something crazy. It was some crazy number, like in the millions approaching the billions that it costs the private sector yeah. to just in the absence, like mental health absences, which is crazy. And things like um, universal income, that's one of the sort of byproducts of that, wasn't it? There's that they seen that the sickness and absence and work went down when people's basic sort of stuff was taken care of by this sort of lump of money. But are they these people that went to be architects and realised they didn't want to be architects? Do you know what I mean? Should there be like a personal development fund that you get like three months of wages where you're allowed to go and find your new career? Mm -hmm. Like like you're not really benefiting my business but there's three months wages going get another job doing what you love. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but again that's not going to make them any money in the short term. Yeah. Because all that all that really that private businesses are trying to do, on on the majority is just make more money. Mm-hmm. The business that I work yeah. for is trying to make more money, um, so they don't want to do that because that'd be like, well, why would we, why should we do that? It's just going to take some money out of the pot, just get somebody else in to work for the three mm-hmm. months, and then off you pop. You can just go away and do what you like. But so in terms of like, um, what I was reading, I think connects your first. Yeah. Movie. First director. First anything. First anything. <laughs> wow. It's a good start. Um so I take it you're you're obviously relatively new to like the, the sort of film festival scene and stuff like that. I know yeah. that was in the last sort of three or four weeks when you were at the Glasgow Film Festival yeah. and I was promoted quite a bit. What was what was the experience of that like as a as a newcomer? Well, it's weird. It feeds back into the, the vision of what you think someone's gonna be like and it ends up being no the opposite, but you know, mm-hmm. you know, these things are all portrayed to be extremely glamorous and it's mm. like oh red carpet premiere and you're like yeah. all right all right um so but no it was good it was like i'm so happy that it premiered in scotland like mm-hmm. that's amazing for me because 
you know, I know people that have had premieres in Sydney and could yeah. go and all these things. So I was like, to be in my whole like home turf in Scotland, Scottish film, Scottish cast, and everything. I was like, this is brilliant. And also, it's like the biggest festival outside of London now. So it's like oh, a right. brilliant festival to be wow. a part of. So not like definitely. And then we had the premiere, which sold out. So they added another screening, and then that sold out as well. So not it was really, That's really excellent. Good. Yeah. Stuff. Has it been? Get, I mean, I seen on IMDb it's at like eight point five out of ten. I mean, I literally, I'm one of these people that somebody suggests something to me if it's below six, I don't watch it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. And unless unless there's something that's compelling me to watch it, or I've seen something and I think I really want to see that. If somebody says to me, oh, "I've watched this thing, you should watch it and check it," it's get a three on IMDb. I'm like, nah, oh, I'm just not going to bother with it. But I was really like, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, no, definitely. But I think, like, some people are quite moved by it, so they, they've essentially become fans of it mm-hmm. and are, like, you know, wanting it to do well, so that, that's amazing. And these are people, like, that I don't even know, yeah. most of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. That's the biggest compliment they can pay, especially when we think about, you know, how people genuine, generally express their opinions on the internet, you mm. know what I mean? So that's kind of, for people to be taking that time out to say, we really love this, yeah. even though it was sort of, a heavy subject matter is is probably even better again for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's easy to make great movies that people are maybe more than easy to make great movies, but it'd have been easier to come up with a lighter approach, a lighter subject matter. You know what I yeah. mean? But as so you stuck to your guns and put something a substance out there that people are actually responding to, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. No, and what I quite like is, like I just did a screening last week actually in London, and two mm-hmm. my friend came and he brought his friend. And like I got a text message the other day saying me and my friend both can't stop thinking about your film and they're both guys. Wow. And I was like, that's really interesting. And and so what, what I really like is the fact that these people, and they're not the only people, I've had other people who are like, I can't stop thinking about your film. Yeah. And I think, well, that's quite good because if it's striking a chord with people, then mm-hmm. yay, Absolutely. I've done something good. So, but... Like after the premiere, we did the Q and A. We were talking about it, and men in the audience had spoke of their situations, and they were open about it. And I was like, "Wow, we're actually all talking about it. Like, yeah. There's a room full of people, and we're yeah. all talking about it." So, like, that I think that's a really good thing, and I hope. It's amazing that when people do talk because it's it's often when when you're in the thick of it, and and you know, and I've, I've recently been um, sort of absent for what. Sort of four or five weeks without a depression and on my way back out now when you're in the weeds it's it's hard the hardest thing to do is talk to anybody mm. about any of it um but for me in my experience for the last 10 15 years but that it is a hundred percent of the time the thing that helps the most for me you mm. know what i mean what is that it seems such a big deal it seems such a, a, a huge sort of gargantuan thing to go i'm no i'm no feeling right but then I think when you do that, it's something that actually releases that pressure. And I've always enjoyed the group environment for that type of thing. When yeah. you actually can look around a room and see that people are engaging and actually like helping each other, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Basically, you know okay, I mean? and it just make you feel part of something that just isn't you in your own head. Mm-hmm. And, ah, and it's that community that again, like mm-hmm. it's being connected to people yeah, mm-hmm. because we're, we're we're social beings. We're we're designed to socialize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like in this day and age we don't socialize no. physically. We, f- and we think that other. we socialize more than ever. It's but it's this know. fake social. Yeah. Um, I think like well, as far as social media, like going, going way back to, in the conversation, I think we'll figure that out 
and yeah. I was listening to something that was I quite... I could see a wee turn happening yeah. of people going, I'm going to... Deleting Instagram, people, there's, there's like a wave of people that went through deleting Facebook and now mm. you see people that are like, I've deleted the Instagram app off my phone, I'm only going to do it in the browser and disconnecting and there was something I was listening to, I was laughing, um, but the guy said that, do you think in, 20, in 25 years we'll look back at social media like Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat is like the McDonald's and the Burger King? So in the 80s when America and McDonald's, everybody got massive in the 90s. Remember, it was like obesity epidemic in the 90s was huge. And then it was like, right, now we need to we'll, we'll, we'll take that back a wee bit. Do you think that the kids of like maybe two generations will look back and go, what, you you had that on all day? Mm. Like, <laughs> wow, how did you do that? Like, I couldn't do that. And almost like mm, looking down on those at it is like I think toxic. in the future, you've got your TV and Netflix and whatever. And then you've got newspapers, and I, for me, social media is like the, those two coming together. Yeah. And you know, that's how you're going to access it. It's like you're just getting fed adverts and news and yeah. all that. Absolutely. And I think that's like the, the new evolution. I think the good media. thing is, is that you are starting to get apps like, you know, that monitor your time on social media uh, and will send you, you know, I, I remember it was a, an old gaming console they got for the win. And it was, I think it was the Nintendo Wii, and it was going, you've been playing for 25 minutes, why don't you take a break? Yeah, and like, right. I think that's something that's starting to become prevalent in social media, where you can, do, at the moment, download other apps that then monitor your social media access mm-hmm. and make recommendations based on how you set it. But I think that's something that maybe social media companies should be thinking about including in their apps, where, you know, if you go into Facebook and it says, look, man, you spent like six hours on Facebook today, do you maybe want to take a break? Mm. You know what I mean? You spent four hours on Twitter? Is it, is it maybe time to log out for a couple hours or whatever it is? I think that's something that could make a massive impact to people because as much as some people are becoming more aware of, you know, ingesting that sort of negativity all day, other people are not. And some might just be, by the way, man, you know, you've spent like 18 hours on Facebook this week. Do you maybe want to just log out for the day? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that might make a huge difference to some people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see that already, aren't you? Like the iPhone, I get a screen time report. And it shames me every week to go that you've no managed to get your screen time down on like a week to week basis. So we're starting to see sort of bits and pieces like that. Um, my girlfriend has worked in the acting industry, so she went to she'll probably kill me. Is it Aura, mm-hmm. which is like a big sort of like film and stage school in London? Um, and she asked she I was asking her um, this morning when I was sort of writing up my my topics and bits I wanted to talk about. The, did you do anything to make sure that like the actors and the crew didn't go like too deep? Um, she was saying that sometimes when they work on stuff, you can get too caught up in the subject matter. And was that something that you were sort of aware of, or that they were speaking about? Um, I, I think I've just been extremely lucky to have Kevin Guthrie in my film, who's just like unbelievably mm-hmm. talented, and I think his performance in my film is amazing. Like, and it's it's not too much. Like mm-hmm. I think I think he's just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, but his enthusiasm for it was was like amazing as well. Like we took his enthusiasm because we shot this film in like fifteen days. So we shot a feature wow. film in fifteen days, and if it wasn't for Kevin and his enthusiasm, like, and you know, with like one day off in, in between the two weeks that we were filming, and he's like, "Let's go out and film more," and I was like, "Oh, I'm so tired." <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But um, but no, I think um, but then I think as a director, that's my duty to kind of curb them and be like, right, this is too much, mm-hmm. or you know, less of this, more of that. Yeah. But I think that 
like Kevin's performance is just amazing. I think he got it just right. Mm. And the, the, you, there was nobody that felt overwhelmed by the story or didn't like hit a nerve with anybody. It was more about the the the, the actor's sort of self care. I think she was getting it that if you're dealing with these types of sort of emotional like subject matters, yeah, I know what I mean. you could get a wee bit too sort of caught up in it, maybe feel a wee bit sort of emotionally attached to it. Well, no, because like with my film, it fluctuates to like happy, sad, happy, mm-hmm. sad. Okay. So it's no constant yeah. doom yeah. and gloom for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably in that, he was never going to get that deep. Do you know what I mean? Like I did never want to have a film that was mm-hmm. like just yeah. so depressing kind but of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was consciously trying not to do that. But um I didn't want people sitting watching like an hour and 40 minutes to like somebody just crying in a yeah. room. Mm-hmm. That's so. like when you were saying like, I am Daniel Blake. Mm. I found that really emotionally taxing. I mean, it's it's a it's a great movie mm. and, and I think it was needed at the time when it was made, but that is something that disengages a lot of people, I think, is the emotional drain that you get when you watch movies about sort of mental health issues. Mm. Like even things like Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. They are really emotional. Like you've, you've, after you're done, you're like, you're like exhausted. Yeah, by it. you're exhausted by it. So, um, I'm I'm actually like really looking forward to seeing it, like seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I found your story like really inspiring. Um, do you if you get your own sort of like mental health routine that you do, or do you meditate, or um, which like your sort of what motivates you? How do you motivate yourself? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I think I'm really into like personal development stuff. Mm-hmm. So I listen to like podcasts like Tony Robbins and okay, um, Jay Shetty and stuff like that. So for me, if I find myself in a position where I'm like I'm I'm not quite focused right now, what what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Like I listen to like the, one of these podcasts and I listen to them, like over and over again, yeah. like the same episodes over and over again. And then, like, I will literally just be sitting and I'll go, oh, that's it. What he just said, that's what my problem is. Like, I've maybe got a theory somehow. I didn't realise I had mm-hmm. a fear. Yeah. And, like, for example, when I first decided to make my film, before I, well, sorry, before that, I was basically starting to, starting to think about making a, doing an extras agency because I was a second assistant director before. And then all of a sudden I'm the single mother and I thought, what am I going to do for a career? And an extras agency would have been like a natural progression for me. Someone okay. I could work for home and mm-hmm. make money, still be a mom, all these things. And still be in industry. So it ticked a load of boxes. So I was going to go doing that road. Mm. And then one day I was like listening to this Tony Robbins podcast and I was on the treadmill at the gym and he was like, you know, most people will never achieve anything out of fear. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's me. Okay. Out of fear of having like no money and no proof being able to provide for my daughter. I'm going to go and start an extras agency and that's mm. not what I actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I was like, right, this is it, Marlon. Like, now is the time to decide what you want to do with your life. You're not getting any younger. And um, and I was like, do you know, I've always wanted to make a film. That's always been my dream. Like, and I was, mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to do it. And then, but then I get these moments where I go, oh my God, this goal is so overwhelming and yeah. massive. And so these podcasts for me, I just listen and I go, it keeps me focused. They go, no, you know what the long-term goal is. You're going to make this film, like, just take the shit as it comes and plow through it. So I think that's good as well. And the fact that, and I think that kind of resonates with what you were saying at the start when obviously you initially experienced, you know, your friend's um, death by suicide, was that you then used your sort of creative process to 
kind of basically express what you were feeling, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so I think that must be something that is going to help. I mean, I, you know, you, that's the my process is meditation, but your process is filmmaking. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, 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 mm-hmm. no, definitely. I think I've got a, I do a bit of both. Like, I love a creative outlet, mm-hmm. and but also, like, I don't know, I just love meditating. I'm for not... some reason, I've got right into it. It's yeah. like I twice a day for 20 it. minutes. Mm. Definitely I, not for everybody. It's def- it, 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 isn't it? That's one of the things that a lot of people, they're almost like, when you talk about things like meditating and you're like, it's sorted a lot of uh, things out for me. I think that you, it sounds like you've had that self-awareness to know what you wanted to do. A mm. lot of people just float about. Yeah. And for me, I've definitely got that overactive brain where if I, and I've done this for myself. If I can harness it, I can do great things. But if I don't harness it, it can literally be my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Where I just distract myself with either gambling or alcohol, whatever it's been over the years. Mm-hmm. It's almost just distracting myself to quieten my brain down because I just don't know how to funnel like all these thoughts that are going through mm-hmm. my head. But you've known what you've wanted. That's I think that that's one of the things that is a big challenge for people is figuring out what do you yeah. want. Knowing what you actually want. What do you actually you want? want. Yeah, yeah. I, and try to get past that conditioning to go. For me, I, I always go back to what I was like as like a teenager. What did I want to do when I was 15, yeah. 16? It was my dreams. And then I take it for there. And it was always like music for me. So And it's been filmed for you. So absolutely. Like, I wanted to be in there in the Jones. <laughs> but I didn't pan you, out. <laughs> you might be being unrealistic there. Ah, you I might know. want to think about going yeah. to call what, I, what I really want, what I really want is to work my but, call Well, center. I go and do archaeology. That's what you want to do. <laughs> that's what you want to do. If there was one thing that people, you would want people to take away from the movie, what would it be? Um, I think that like what we spoke about earlier, like connecting with people, like you utilize the people around about you because everybody cares like you'll mm-hmm. convince yourself that people don't care but that's not true like and they really do Absolutely. and you know people like families will wonder why did they not speak to me and why did they not come to me for help mm-hmm. and because they do want to help mm-hmm. you know yeah. what i mean so i think that's the main thing is like connect with people around about you it's mm-hmm. definitely something people need to keep in mind is that if you give your family the choice between talking to you about something really difficult and you being dead yeah like they're going to want to talk to you a hundred percent of the time yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. and where can people just wrap up like where can people see it because i'm keen i mean we don't know other, other than that i seen that it was at the glasgow film festival i tried to get tickets gonna get tickets i was like oh well and i walked past it my way uh I think I'd contacted you asking you to come in and you were like, no, we're at the Glasgow Film Festival and I walked past and I seen the queue and they had like the big boards and then I seen the pictures of you in front of the boards. I was like, oh, that's been connect. That's what um, the queue's been for. Um, but it, is it getting distributed? What's happening? So currently, it's going to screen in July at the Loman Film Fest- Festival in Balfron. Mm-hmm. And then it was filmed in North Berwick so they do during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival not film festival Fringe Festival they do Fringe by the Sea mm-hmm. and it's like we spin off of the Fringe okay. and so it's going to screen there in August so there's two events but um, in terms of like a cinematic release I'm trying to get distribution for it basically mm-hmm. so what in progress uh, no so. chance of Netflix oh, best of luck, oh I wish I wish I would love it I'm but sure they would take it um, there's, there's, there's a load of old nonsense on Netflix. Yeah, no, totally. But um, I don't know, I'd absolutely love that because I think that Netflix would be like a good fit for my film because mm. obviously I want men to see my film and the people that I want to see it might not necessarily be the people that 
would go to the cinema on their own yeah. to see it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, Absolutely. but they'd probably watch it in the house on their own. So, yeah, yeah, I, 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 that would be amazing. Like, there's loads of different options. There's, there's one. I mean, you can put it on YouTube and charge like a tenner for yeah. people to watch it. But mm-hmm. then, it's it, it's one. It's a double edged sword because you're get when you nine times out of ten a barrier to it. Yeah, yeah, and then also if you're giving it away to a digital format like that, they, they end up you end up making no money off it either. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're, you've got future projects that you want to run. So. Yeah. But good luck finding Aye. distribution. Um, Thank and thanks very much for coming on. It's been a nice thanks. conversation. Yeah, nice. really enjoyed thanks it. Thanks very really much. Really good conversation. And I think that these are the things that people need to be talking more about. So that's why we do this. But no, definitely. And if, like if I was to ever get any kind of distribution, I would like to do some sort of like marketing campaign along the lines of like, phone an old friend that you've not spoke to for ages and right. see if they want to go see this film kind of thing. Aye. And also, like women are a, are a big audience that come to see my film. More women come to see it than men. Okay. So I think I might aim that at women as well, and be like, get a guy and bring him to see this. Film. I think in our conversation with Dan when he was in um, the guy for Brothers and Arms, he was saying that obviously you know women are one of the biggest things that sort of save men from suicide is the mothers and daughters and and wives of men who actually spot the warning signs and actually force men to take action. So. Mm. You know, educating women on this topic is, you know, vitally important as as it is to educate many. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. So that'd be nice if, if if I could get distribution and try do something like that. It'd be amazing. Mm. Well, thanks again for coming on. Yep. Um, and thanks. yeah, good luck. Like, I hope this. Um, again, I'm looking forward to connect, but also like the next project as well yeah. sounds really interesting. So it'll be keeping an eye out for definitely that. i mean that might be a wee bit darker mm-hmm. but then there was talk of making a musical so who knows <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> make it a bit cheery right, you thank you baited breath thanks all right troops welcome to this week's episode of rebel city podcast this week's episode we have marilyn edmund uh, marilyn is the writer and director of a movie called connect now connect is about male suicide and